Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Real Life Ghost Stories. Hello. How you do? This is uh, episode 36 and it's a little bit unusual this week uh, because I'm in charge. Whoop whoop. It's very exciting. Okay. So I'm going to mimic what you do exactly. I'm not going to do your voice, so don't worry. Um, but we're going to start off with saying thank you to our lovely new patrons. So I'd like to say thank you to Waylana Kalama. Thank you to Stephen Smith. To Christina Underbeek. To Kathleen Hughes. To Rebecca. To Jordan Hill. To Liam. To Chloe Falls. To Jordan Grubbs. To Ellen Morrison. To Bex Oliver. To Aaron Cop And to Sierra Cersei. Thank you very much, guys. We thank really you. appreciate it, as always. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm, I'm a bit tired today, I have yeah. to say. It's been a bit of a busy week and a bit of a busy weekend. If you're a London person, I would absolutely suggest going to gin house burlesque go find them on instagram go find some of their secret burlesque shows so worth it that's what i was doing last night so i'm a bit tired today on her own she's just going on my around, own going yeah around london going to the burlesque just trying to find <laughs> just desperately trying to find drag queens and burlesque performers <laughs> okay uh so we watched a movie this week yes, we and did. that movie was called the silence it was released in 2019 and it's one of those netflix funded films um, it got 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb and a rather disappointing 26% oh. on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Sad. Would you like a synopsis? I would indeed like a synopsis. Okay, so when the world is under attack from creatures who hunt their human prey by sound, a teenager who lost her hearing at 13 and her family seek safety in a remote refuge. However, they discover a cult who are eager to exploit her heightened senses. So what did you think of this movie? You know what? I feel like it is a poor man's A Quiet Place. Okay. But I think if A Quiet Place didn't exist, I would probably be a lot more positive about this film. So I think it's a little bit unfair to be... I think it's impossible not to compare it to A Quiet Place because it's essentially the same story. But I think A Quiet Place was better. But this film was still okay. It wasn't awful. It was definitely was not awful. I don't understand how... So obviously, the whole premise is that these creatures work on um, sound. So sound alone. They, they hunt people. They're basically people scary bats. They're basically big fucking scary bats. Yeah, that's true. And But what I don't understand, which I said to you during the film, is that this film takes place over the space of a couple of days. Yep. So it's not a really long drawn out period of time. How has a cult sprung up in literally <laughs> 24 hours? You'd be surprised. I'm pretty how, sure. How did they cut out their tongues and heal them in the space of 24 hours? So I was thinking about this the other night, actually, and I'm not sure they were actually cut out. I think they were wearing a tongue brace because there was a bit of metal in their mouth. And I think it was like a tongue, like a chastity belt for your tongue. No, I completely disagree. I, th- yeah. I think they cut out their tongues. Wow. Because that girl, you know, the little girl yeah. who was like the decoy, she was missing her tongue. And they were like, oh my God, she's got her tongue cut out. Oh. So I think the cult oh, do okay. cut out their tongues. No idea then. <laughs> but it literally in the space of 24 hours, this creepy cult shot up and we're like, she's fertile. Sorry, human, we've not we've not reached extinction yet. Like nobody really knows what's going on. We're only at the level of panic. And you're talking about this kidnapping this girl because she's fertile. It was just very, that bit was really clumsy, I thought. I think the other thing that was quite clumsy is that uh, these things had been underground for thousands of years accidentally got let out and then there was enough of them to destroy like major cities in America yeah how did they survive all that time under the ground they were just eating each other well then if they were eating each other then they'd run out there'd be one left that would eventually starve unless they were like maybe there's a maybe maybe it's like they were eating the descent you know those people in the descent who also live underground maybe they're just preying on those oh god I, I, I actually quite like the film The Descent um, I quite like this, as usual. Um, I agree. With I didn't you. think it was awful. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I do think this would be a be- this film would be better had a quiet place never been made because it's essentially the same premise. Yeah, um, not even essentially, it just is the same premise. Well, the flying animals. Okay, fair enough. So the actual creatures <laughs> themselves are different. If you ever seen um, Pitch Black, yes, it kind of yeah, reminds me of very Pitch Black. That, the creatures in yeah, it. It's very similar. Very similar kind of thing. Actors were alright. Performances were okay. Yeah, they weren't horrific. Dad was a little bit odd. He just sort of never really reacted to anything. No, I didn't. You know, I mean, if I was looking at the news and they were like, stay indoors. Now, the one, th- <laughs> there was a, the other thing that annoyed me was that on the news, so they have those emergency broadcasts that the family's seen. They're all sitting down watching these emergency broadcasts, which are like, 
you know, this is what's being spread on social media, which I quite liked. I quite liked yeah. the use of social media, yeah, yeah, that good. they learn more from social media than they do the actual um, news stations, which kind of would happen in real life. And the news stations are like, you have to stay indoors. You can't make any sound. We believe they're they're attracted to sound or they hunt by sound, blah, blah, blah. And the family are like, so what do we do? What, what, what do we need? And I'm like, shut up. They just said, stop talking. Why are you all talking? And they're just having these really like full volume conversations after the police or the police, the news stations. Oh God, I'm struggling. <laughs> the news stations have just said, everybody needs to be really quiet. So in that, in, in that regard, the family are a bit stupid and annoying, but and they also were quite, quite clever in ways. A little while to realise that even though they were doing it all the way through the start of the film, that they all used, they all knew how to use sign language and communicate using sign language. Yeah, so they should And then just... it took them like a whole day to figure out that they could actually still talk without making any noise. You'd think that they just naturally <laughs> slip yeah. into using sign language all the time. There was a great moment in the film though where the guy lures the creatures away by turning on a wood chipper yeah, and all the creatures awesome. fly into the wood chipper and get all pulverised. That was great. That, that was made good. me laugh. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend watching this to be honest with you. I don't think it was that bad, if, especially if you haven't seen The Quiet Place yet. A Quiet Place yet, rather. Yeah. Um, watch this first. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would. Because um, I think A Quiet Place is better. So I think if you watch it in that order, you're less likely to be disappointed. So what would you give this out of 10? Out of 10? Five. <laughs> Sorry, I've slipped into 53 movie club. <laughs> Out of five. Oh, God, I hate being this guy. I'm going to give it a three and everybody can shut up laughing. I'm giving it a three. And it deserves a three because it's not awful. Yeah. And if it wasn't for A Quiet Place, we would be talking about this very differently. And to be honest, I'm also going to give it a three. So do you want to know what this week's topic is? Yeah, I actually do. So I haven't been involved in this process at all because I've been absolutely horrifically busy at work this week so I was like Dan I really need you to do the research for this week's episode so I don't know what's coming okay I'm excited so I wanted to do doppelgangers yes but I got a little bit annoyed in the research because every time I typed in doppelgangers I got this celebrity looks like this dog which was fascinating I bet and I did spend hours looking at it I bet however (laughs) it doesn't make for very good content so this week's episode is on time slips yes People have been talking about time slips for ages. Not not just people in general, but people on the podcast group and stuff. You know you're dancing and nobody can see you. Yeah, I'm glad nobody can see you. I'm currently sitting in short shorts and nothing else because it's so hot. That's true. It is very hot. Uh, so people have been asking about um, you doing a time slips episode for ages. So I'm fucking excited. Okay. So I have a lot of stories for you. Woo! But before we go into the stories, what do you know of time slips? What is your... I actually... I know very little. I don't know anything about the science of it because it blows my mind. So I can't... I know there's like science around time in general and I don't understand it. So I just stay away from it because it freaks me out. I know there's been loads of cases in history of people who have claimed to have experienced time slips where they either like go back or forward in time randomly. So they might be driving down the street and then they're like, oh my God, I'm suddenly in the 1920s. But that's it. I'm not really, I'm not really that up on time slips. Okay, so I have got a number of different stories for you. Ooh, I'm excited. I've done it slightly differently to you <gasps> in that I have titled all of my stories. Oh, you've self-titled them. I never do that. Oh God, people will expect this from me now every week. Don't. <laughs> no, no, this is just a, this is just a me thing. And I'm actually going to let you know where I, where I got the original source material from because I didn't just get it from one site. Okay, so interesting. Just so, just in case someone is listening to this and goes, hey, that's my story from my website. I want to give you a shout out from where I got it from. Because that is essentially what we do. Read from the internet. Hey. <laughs> okay, so are you ready for the first story? No. No, you can be ready. Oh, can I okay, ready for this is, one? Because yeah, you're not me. Okay. Yes, I am ready. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first story is called Frank and Carol Go Shopping. Sorry? It's called Frank and Carol Go Shopping. That's the name of the story. What? <laughs> So I just didn't expect it to be called, what was it, Frank and Carol go shopping? Yeah, Frank yeah, did not expect it. Okay, um, okay, let's do this. And this story is actually really widely reported and is taken from a number of websites. So having told you that I was going to tell you where I got them all from. You're not going to. Not for this first one. Okay. Because I've taken bits from different websites and constructed a story from it. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Okay, so it was an average summer day in July of 1996. The schools were still in session and off-duty policeman Frank and his wife Carol decided to head into the Bold Street area of Liverpool for a spot of shopping. After an hour or so of shopping together, Frank and Carol decided to split up to get their last few bits before their parking ran out. Carol headed into Dylan's bookshop while Frank began to walk up the road to the local record store. Frank was hoping to pick up a new CD that he'd been after, 
so he began to walk up the incline near the Lyceum building, checking his watch to see how long he had until the parking was up. It was the noise that he noticed first, or rather the lack of it. The area around him had suddenly become eerily quiet, as if he had walked into an oasis of quietness. Next he noticed the smell. The air around him wasn't as fresh as it had been. It was the smell that your clothes get when they've been hung in the wardrobe a long time. Suddenly a horn tooted and Frank looked up to see a small box van in front of him, driven by a mildly irate driver in a flat cap. Frank glanced down to his feet briefly and realised that he was actually standing in the middle of the road. He sheepishly moved aside and as the van rattled past, two things struck him. Firstly, it was a really old van. He hadn't seen one of those since he was a child and even then he felt he might have seen it at one of those classic car shows his dad used to drag him to. Secondly, he noticed the van had the word Kaplan's written on the side. It occurred to Frank in that brief moment that he'd never heard of a store called Kaplan's. Maybe that was the name of a haulage company, he thought. They needed to update their fleet in that case. As he watched the van drive up the road towards where he'd left Carol, a wave of unease washed over him. Where Dylan's bookshop was five minutes earlier now should stood a shop called Cripps. This shop was selling women's shoes and handbags, not books. He began striding towards the store, trying to establish where he had taken a wrong turning. As he walked back down the street, he began to notice how few people there now were in the street, and those that were there were dressed in 1940s clothing. Had he stumbled across a reenactment, he asked himself. Just as his heart was starting to really race, he noticed a girl dressed in modern clothes, carrying a brand of handbag he'd recognised. He'd bought Carol a similar one for Christmas. The two acknowledged each other with an awkward smile and both walked towards the shop that was now called Cripps. Now more concerned with finding Carol than the oddly dressed people around him, Frank got to the door first and held it open for the girl. Frank nearly walked into the girl as they entered the shop. She had halted suddenly as she went in. Oh, I thought this was a clothes shop, but it's full of books. I was going to look around. As Frank looked up, he realised he was now standing in Dylan's bookshop. He lightly grabbed the girl's arm. You saw it too? Yes, he said. The girl awkwardly shrugged and left the shop. Frank stood in the entrance, astounded for a good few minutes. Did you get your CD? It was Carol. A few weeks later, Frank did some research into the Bold Street area. It turned out that a woman's shoe shop and outfitters called Crips had existed in the Bold Street area in the 1950s. It had stood on the same site Dylan's bookshop had stood in 1996. That shop's now a Wilterstone's. Further to this, there had been also been a business called Kaplan's just down the road in the same era. Had Frank and that girl unwittedly stepped back in time, or were they both experiencing a ghostly residue? <laughs> <laughs> a ghostly residue. So, what do you think? I am baffled by this, because why Why did him and that girl experience it at the same time? Why together? It's weird, isn't it? Like, why? And, they obviously, and she obviously walked in and went, oh, I was going to go look for some clothes. Why is this now a bookshop? Why did they experience it together? It's really, it's a really bizarre story. And actually, this is one of the, if you type in Time Slips UK or something along those lines, British Time Slips. <laughs> no, probably not, because that would be something else, wouldn't it? That'd be where you're clocking them. Yeah. Um, but if you type in UK Time Slips or Time Slip UK, this is the most documented story. And there's actually some newspaper articles on it. And if you type in the area, like um, uh, the Bold Street area in Liverpool, all the photos yeah. that come up are of Crips. No way! So it was, it did exist. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really like, it's quite fascinating because you can see the Crypt store. You can see photos of the Crypt store and you can see photos of where, what it currently looks like now, which is the Waterstones. And the design of the building is exactly the same. But obviously there's a big difference between shoes and handbags and books. And the reaction of the girl in all the stories that I read is the same. She walks in and goes, oh, I was hoping to look around, but it's just books. And then walks back out again. But then would you ever say that out loud? I don't know. Do you know if you walked yeah. into a shop and it wasn't what you expected, would you go, oh, well, this doesn't have the shoes that I was looking for, <laughs> and then turn and walk out again? So is that one of those stories that... It might that, have been fabricated a little bit. That there are yeah. elements of it that are added to make it more believable. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that, so that you, we can see that what she was thinking yeah. rather than what she actually said out loud. Oh, these stories really freak me out because it makes me feel like time and place and who we are is so fragile. Yeah. And, we're, and you don't know, like... Could they see him? I mean, obviously they could because the van driver tooted him, right? Yeah. So there was that bit of interaction, but the other people in the street, could they see him? How out of place did he look dressed in his shell suit in 1996? I, I'm just imagining he was wearing a shell he suit. He obviously was wearing a shell suit. that's what velour, everybody wore probably, in the 90s, yeah. yeah. I had a velour tracksuit. Did you? Yeah, I did. First, a, a bright pink one. Stunning. I'd wear it now. It was stunning. I had one shell suit. Did you? Yeah, because my mum was really caught up in the um, 
shell suit fear panic when they all used to I think one person wore it too close to a fire and they went up in flames and then mum was like right you're never wearing shell suits <laughs> can't even look at them don't bring them into the house <laughs> they'll spontaneously combust so are you okay uh, I am genuinely a little bit freaked out what's freaking you out about it because I don't like I was thinking while you were reading that I was thinking about how I would respond if I was walking down the street and then suddenly I was in the 1920s I would lose my ship and mm. I'd be like how do I get back that would be my freaking out point. How do I get back to my own time? Okay, I want you to hold that thought. Oh, no, yeah. Because okay. a couple of stories along, there is something that is interesting that you might refer back to. Okay, okay are you ready for the next story? No, I actually, I sound like you. Excuse <laughs> me for yawning, but I'm actually not. This is making me feel really uncomfortable, but continue. And we've actually gone into our own little time slip because we've got roles reversed. Oh, I know, I don't like it. Mm. Okay, so the next story is called Jack Watches Traffic. And this comes from the Uncanny Truth website. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, this is a lot shorter than the other one, so bear with. Also takes place in the 1990s. Are you ready? A lot of stuff went on in the 90s. Ready? Yep. Okay. Sometime in the late 1990s, I can't remember when exactly, my dad's sister and I were in Kings Lynn in Norfolk. It's an average-sized town, not much to mention, but it is quite rural on the outskirts of the town, as most places in Norfolk are. The three of us were there to see my sister off on the train. She was off to another summer camp, as she did most years when we were growing up. In typical dad fashion, we were there way too early, so we were just killing time watching the world go by. We were stood near a fence by the railway station, from which you could see a road and a roundabout just ahead. Okay, I need to stop there. We know what a roundabout is. However, these are not common in lots of different parts of the world. Okay, so a roundabout is quite a uniquely British thing. Is it? In that most places just have crossroads. In the States, you, you do town planning brilliantly... It's all in squares. Really easy to navigate, even if you've never been there before. We don't really do that. No. Um, So we don't have as many crossroads as you guys do. We put little circles in there and make the whole experience much more dangerous. Yeah, make up some rules about those circles, yeah. Yeah, and just by allowing you to go. So that is what a roundabout is. It's basically something that we do at an intersection to make driving that little bit more risky. Yeah, make it scarier. Okay, so back to the story. (laughs) It was around noon and the three of us had just been shooting the shit and hanging around, just waiting to head to the station. Conversation had naturally lulled and we were all casually staring in the direction of the road straight ahead of us. Suddenly the atmosphere changed. The sound of the traffic around us stopped abruptly. It was like someone had literally turned the volume down. The air changed too, it became very still, spookily still, and no sound could be heard. None of us spoke. Then there came the sound of horses' hooves on the road, and within a few seconds we saw a horse and cart coming up the road in front of us. The horse was black and fierce looking, and the cart was driven by a large angry looking man, dressed in what I estimate to be about 17th century clothing. As the cart got closer we could see the man was very rough looking. He had a dirty appearance and the cart was very well used. When the cart got to a certain point in front of us, the man steered the horse around in a circle, He continued to drive the cart in big circles for a few minutes, constantly looking around furious as if he was looking for someone or something. Sometimes he looked directly at us, sometimes he looked away. But the furious look never wavered. He definitely looked like someone you wouldn't want to cross. Then, after a few minutes, with no explanation, he steered his horse and cart away, back down the road from which he came. He didn't look back, and the sound of the hooves and the cart disappearing was all we could hear as we watched him ride into the distance. The moment the cart disappeared, the atmosphere changed back again, and the sound of modern traffic and the general din of the local town returned. We all looked at each other, shaken and almost disbelieving. But once we had asked the inevitable, did you see that? And all answered, yeah. We were even more shaken. It must have been real if we'd all seen it. Right? So what do you make of that story? What do you make of that story? What was he looking for? It's a good question. Could he see them? The guy says that he did look at them directly. But then... But was he looking at them or through them? Do you know, yeah. there's kind of a difference. And why does... I know, obviously, sound changes because at, in the 17th century or whenever they, they believed this was, there wouldn't have been traffic. But the last guy talked about an atmosphere change as mm. well, like an immediate, boof, sound gone. Everything feels different. There are certain trends with these stories in terms of those kind of things. But is that... I wonder, though, is that because people have read these stories and gone, that's oh, what yeah, is needed? That's what to us as well, maybe. yeah. yeah. But it's very, like, it's kind of a non-entity of a story, really. Because yeah. they haven't done anything. They just watched this yep. occur and nothing actually happened. There's no interaction like there was in the previous story. No, there's story. no interaction. There's no, like, exploring. There's no nothing. They just watched 
they felt the world change and then watched this man on a horse who looked really angry. I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah. So the thing that really intrigued me about this was when he was going around in circles, I wonder if he was at the roundabout at that point. It doesn't say that in the story, but I was like, there's a road and a roundabout in front of him. And then he drives up the road and goes around in circles. I was wondering if he was like going around the roundabout. Why would he be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, but you'd assume that if it went back to the 17th century, that he's there still living no in his yeah. 17th century. Yeah. Unless he's accidentally come, like unless it's a kind of like a, he slipped into their world rather than they've slipped into yeah, his. Yeah, who knows? Because can you imagine if you were like, in the, of course you'd look furious if you were like riding along and then all of a sudden you're like, where the fuck am I? Yep. Oh, it freaks me out. I don't like it. Oh, this is good. You've, you're slipping into my role really well I here. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing really, I've practiced. I was method acting all week. Um, I know I just don't, I don't like the absurdity of it. But yeah, it's somehow really believable. Yeah. And that, that's what I don't like, I think. And it's all, both of these stories have been, multiple people have experienced it. I mean, obviously this one, they're mm. all a family, so there's there's a bit of corroboration there probably. But yeah. in Frank's story, it was just a Frank and a random girl. A Frank. A Frank. A Frank. <laughs> the Frank. <laughs> and a random girl. So, interesting. Are you ready for another one? Yeah, I kind of want one that I can pull apart. I want one that I can go, this is bullshit. It's funny you should say that, because I think you might be able to do it with this. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So... Uh, this story is called The Simpsons Staying a Hotel. Uh, I'm sorry, I just, I, I forget that I'm supposed to be speaking and I'm just staring at you at each of the... Have you come up with these titles yourself? Yeah. Love it. Okay, Love um, it. and this comes from the Stranger Earth blog, which is very similar to The Uncanny Truth. It's like a parody collection of paranormal stories, basically, but I wanted to give them credit because I took a big chunk of it from their website. Cool. Okay, so, are you ready? Yes. British families in the 1970s were only just starting to go abroad for their holidays. Prior to this, an exotic summer holiday would have been going to the Isle of Wight for a week. By the late 1970s, flying to Spain for your holiday was still not considered usual, so driving down through two countries was some next-level weirdness. Two British couples decided to do just this in October 1979. Looking for some sunshine to chase away the autumn blues, Homer and Marge Simpson, I'm just joking, um, (laughs) Jeff and Pauline Simpson and their friends, Lennon and Cynthia Gibsley, set off from the port of Dover early in the morning of the 3rd of October. By late evening, the couples found themselves in Montelamar, a small town in the south of France. The couple had not pre-planned any stops and were hoping that as it was off-season, they would be able to find lodging when they arrived. However, the main hotel in the town was full, and they hadn't seen any others on the drive-in. As the two men were stood on the steps discussing whether they should drive to the next town or not, a man in an old-fashioned plum-coloured suit approached them. Hotel? There is hotel down that road. That's a terrible accent. Yeah, it was awful. I should have just read it in English. Yeah, you should have. Okay, let's try that again. Hotel. There is hotel down that road, he said, pointing down the side road. Jeff and Len thanked the man and got back in the car. The road they travelled down was cobbled and narrow and they couldn't help noticing very old-fashioned posters for a circus lining their route. They stopped at an inn for further directions and eventually found themselves by two buildings. One a police station, the other an old-fashioned two-storey building marked hotel. Upon entering the hotel, they found themselves in the hotel bar and discovered that although the owner couldn't speak English, he understood their request for a room, and after dinner they headed up to see them. They found the rooms to be clean, but very outdated. There was no glass in the windows, but wooden shutters instead. The door could be locked, only by means of a wooden catch, and there was no telephone. There were bolsters, but no pillows, and the plumbing was antique. But though basic, it was perfectly acceptable for their purposes. A nice, long sleep. In the morning they awoke and headed down for breakfast. They were startled by the appearance of a few others in the hotel. One was a woman wearing a long dress and button boots and carrying a little dog. Two gendarmes came into the hotel wearing clothes, unlike any other gendarmes they'd seen. The couples finished up and prepared to leave. They asked one of the gendarmes for directions back to the auto route and onto Avignon, but he didn't seem to understand the word. The couples put this down to their poor pronunciation. He gave them some directions which they later found out led onto an old out of the way road. When they settled up their bill they were in for another, not too unwelcome, surprise. In total their bill came to 19 francs, which was about one thirteenth of what they should have paid. They inquired with the gendarme again as they felt there may have been some mistake, but he assured them that was all was well and they handed over the paltry sum and went off to sunny Spain. On their return trip they were unable to locate this hotel despite finding the right road. And when they inquired at the Ibis, they were told that they knew of no such nearby hotel. The couples were forced to stay in a hotel in Lyon and pay over 200 francs for a room. When they got home, they found the pictures they had taken in the hotel were missing. Not blank, nor obscured, but gone. And the reel had been filled with other pictures, 
Later investigation found that the reel showed markings halfway along, showing the camera had tried to take pictures but had failed. They've been back to visit since, but they've found no trace of the hotel. Although somewhere similar was found, they denied that this was the hotel they stayed in. They later identified the uniforms worn by the gendarmes as those used before 1905. Stayed in the hotel, wasn't there when I came back. That's really sustained. Like, that's not a time slip. That's like a time holiday. Yeah. <laughs> But literally, they stayed in a hotel and... I mean, nine. so obviously we don't use francs anymore. That's an old currency because it was, that was the currency of France in the 70s. Now it's euros, but 19 yeah. francs is ridiculous. So the guy that told them the hotel was down, was like there was a hotel down there. Was he from the past? Was he not freaked out by the fact they were wearing modern clothes? Yeah, and it's inferred that he was. So in the original story from the sort of site... There was some. St- it wasn't clear when I started writing it whether the the guy in the purple suit was just a random passerby or whether he worked for the hotel. This site said he worked for the hotel. Previous site said he didn't. Ah. Don't know who he is. I cut that last that second bit out when they went to the hotel and the hotel denied that he worked for them because it wasn't clear that he worked for them in the first place. So I just took that out. Yeah. But yeah, who's so? There's an old guy that directs them to an old hotel that they stay overnight in, give real money to, disappear on the way back. Hotel's not there. But I would imagine, right, so this is going to sound really stupid, so you're going to have to bear with me because my brain isn't really working very well. You know the whole, like, chaos theory thing where, like, if a butterfly flaps its wings in, I don't know, Canterbury, a T-Rex attacks Tokyo or something. I don't actually know what the the theory is. That is the theory. I'm making it up. (laughs) Like, everything has a a consequence. Every action has a consequence. So if you went back in time accidentally in this time slip and then you... We're interacting with these people from the past surely that would you think so do something like yep. surely it would i don't know we'd 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 all end up deformed somehow i don't know what i'm talking about stop talking to me stop looking so at me. i've got a very non-dan rational explanation for this one. Oh my god go on so i've no proof of this however the statement that they found a similar hotel someone found a similar hotel and they denied that they stayed in it is interesting yeah because you have to remember that they are this is a tiny town in the south of France. Yeah. In the 70s, when yeah. tourism really hadn't started to hit. So the fact that this town has an ibis is actually quite a big deal in the yeah. 70s. So there is every chance that this hotel could have been further out than they realised. Yeah. In another village. And it's actually just an old school hotel. It doesn't explain the uniforms of the gendarme. Ah, but I've been thinking about this as well while I was listening so people have been doing like reenactments and all that stuff for like a bazillion years. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what it was. Maybe yeah. there was people who like dressing up as like old school police officers. And actually all the sort of old stuff that they describe. So like having the wooden shutters really common in the south of France. Yeah, it is. Not having pillows potentially in the 70s hotels probably didn't provide that kind of thing anyway. If you, if you go down the, the line that this is a backwater so to speak, hotel. But yeah. actually, and actually, they've gone further than they thought. Maybe it was really basic within yeah. the realms of possibility. That was a really basic hotel. And actually, because they didn't realise how far they went when they were coming back, they couldn't find it because it wasn't as close as they thought. Yeah. And the guy in the Ibis Hotel said, "Oh, there's no such hotel around here." Probably meant there is no such hotel in this town. And probably, if they've been driving across Europe, they're probably like incredibly tired and not as cognizant as maybe they otherwise would be. Yep. The author of the blog that I took the majority of this comments on this post at the end and says, actually, I've stayed in lots of hotels in France around this period and I only got charged 19 euro and you get what you pay for. Yeah, that's true. Not 19 euro, sorry, 19 francs. Yeah. And you get what you pay for. So that's, that's might have been your, your story. Okay. Are you ready for another one? Yes. I'm going to save the best one to last. I'm just giving <gasps> Ooh, I'm excited. Okay, so this uh, story comes from supernaturalmagazine.com and it's called Alan Drives a Bus. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> it was a warm August evening. I was on the late turn driving a bus for London and country bus services from Rygate to Sevenoaks. At the time, this was a new route for us, only having been run from the spring of 1994. The route ran from Rygate to Westerham in Kent, following the A25 to Sevenoaks. It went on to serve a few places around Sevenoaks before returning to Rygate just after midnight. Not many people used the bus, but the few that did, it was an essential service. Every night a young lady used to arrive at Sevenoaks bus station in the town centre at around 11.20pm, in time to board the bus for an 11.28 departure. She would get off another bus with her boyfriend, have a kiss, a short chat and then board my bus. She was there almost every night without fail and travelled to her home at a small village called Bessels Green. On the evening of the 14th of August 1996, she didn't turn up. 
Her other bus came and then went, which was my signal to go. When I drove out of the bus station and turned onto the high street, on my right I noticed a bright star shining in the night sky. This star seemed to be keeping up with my movements along the route out of town. If it was a star, it should have changed sides as I turned the bus, but it didn't. It just kind of stayed in front of me. As I drove along the road, it disappeared totally from sight. I progressed along the A25 in total darkness, no streetlights or traffic passing the other way. I headed towards Bessels Green. As I approached, probably about a quarter of a mile away, I saw what appeared to be the bright star, very low. Fuck off. <laughs> in fact, it appeared to be level with the road surface. This was confirmed as I drove nearer and nearer, it became larger and larger until I drove into it. As I entered the light, the road surface changed. The bus rocked side to side with the sound of the rough flint-type road on the tyres. I immediately slowed down because this is the kind of road that causes punctures. Eventually I drew to a stop at the side of the road. My near side front wheel rested in a pothole directly outside the King's Head public house. I passed this pub every night as I drove the route. There was a large tree out in the front of the pub and after you passed the tree you got a glimpse of the inside. It was never busy but it also always had patrons. This night though the pub didn't look right. It looked dowdy, beige brown in colour and appeared to be floodlight. I swiftly guessed the film crew was shooting a film. It's not uncommon in this area due to the fact that it's relatively close to London and it's still quite rural and quaint. I looked around to see if I could see any of the crew or actors but there was no one there. The cottages in this village had dim candlelight shining in some of the windows. I saw in the background what appeared to be a large church with candlelight shining from the windows. I then heard the clip-clop of horses' hooves and saw a horse and open cart slowly walking towards the pub. The cart had people sitting either side facing one another on a wooden bench type seat seating. They were all laughing and seemed very happy. The ladies wore flat caps and white blouses, the men wore jackets, white shirts and ordinary trousers. The colour of the material for the jackets, skirts and flat caps all seemed the same colour, a brownish green kind of material that looks like tweed. They appear to be people who may have been working on a farm, ending the day in a pub after a hard day's work. When the cart pulled up, the driver stepped down and walked around the back of the cart to help the ladies off a short ladder, who was still giggling, and one by one went into the pub. One lady who was sitting in the cart while the others were getting off looked straight at me. The door to the pub was ajar. As they pushed the door to go in, they seemed to step over a beam which rang along, ran along the bottom of the door. I could hear the door slamming after each person went through. This made me think the door was kept closed by a spring. While this was going on, to get a better view, I opened the bus door to go outside when a voice in my mind said, if you go outside, you won't come back. Just look and see. I looked to my right and the sun was just setting across the fields. As I turned my head to look at the pub, the voice said, you've seen enough. It's time to go. I put the bus in gear and slowly drove off the flint road. It seemed to hit a small step and the bus returned to tarmac and into the darkness. The running time for that route was tight, so I knew without a doubt I was going to be very late. As I was driving back to the garage, replaying the events in my head, a couple of things occurred to me. Firstly, the tree outside the pub had been removed. That seemed really odd. The council was very protective of their trees. Secondly, I could have sworn that there was a row of buildings that obscured the fields from where I was parked, yet I'd seen the sun set over them clear as day. I made a mental note to check that out the next night. Excited, I wanted to tell someone what I'd seen. I as I completed the route and approached the Rygate bus gar garage, that little voice in my head said, Don't tell anyone. When I looked at my watch to check the time, I was early. I clocked off and went home. The next day, inquisitive, I went to visit the pub. Bought a pint of beer and looked around. A few regulars were in and I listened to the chatter. I would have thought what I'd witnessed that evening before would have been the talk of the t town. I heard no reference to this whatsoever. The following week, I bought a local newspaper to see if anybody had written in. No one had. Then I realised I was the only one to have seen it. But what was it? What really happened that warm summer evening? I kept my silence on what happened that night for more than five years. I never even told my family. Some years later I read something in the newspaper about ley lines and their significance along the A25. I began to believe what I saw was a build up of energy from a ley line. In 2006 I revisited the pub with a friend who I left let in on the story. We asked ourselves loads of questions. One was, why could I see the pub? if there was a tree between my lines of view. The answer was that the tree was planted since the last war, so it wasn't there that evening. Why could I see the sun setting across the field if there are houses and trees across the road? Because again, the houses hadn't been built since the last war. How was it that that lady who looked at me didn't see me? Because I wasn't born and the bus hadn't been made. I was invisible to everyone. 
Why wasn't I late to back to the bus garage? It's almost as if time had stopped for those few minutes. What was the significance of the star that seemed to be tracking the bus? Was there a connection or just a coincidence? No one knows, but all I can say is this experience was one of the most remarkable things I'd ever seen. Right, I got a couple of things to say about this one. Okay. First of all, if a star was following my bus and then fell into the middle of the road <laughs> and then opened up a big portal into the past, I would not be questioning whether or not it was just a coincidence. I'd be like, oh, that probably was the portal into the past. I also would not be like obsessed with the tree <laughs> and it's not existence. I would be more so obsessed with the portal that opened up clearly and transported me back to the past. I get that he's talking about ley lines and a build-up of energy, blah, 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 blah. But why that moment? Yeah. That really insignificant mm. moment. That moment where these women and men get off a carriage and go into the pub. That's so insignificant. So he goes on. Oh, God. I'm not going to read anymore, but he does go on and he says, in his sort of pondering that he does at the end, because this is actually in the form of a letter that he'd written to the Supernatural magazine. Oh, right. Um, and he goes on in his pondering to say, he wonders what had happened if he had got out of the bus. And he wonders that if this is what happens to all those people who go missing. So oh, God, this is like missing 411 all over again. <laughs> the other thing that I had to cut out of this letter was that this guy is clearly very much a bus driver because there is about four paragraphs of descriptive details about the route that his bus takes that I had to cut out because it was potentially the most boring thing I would have ah, ever read. Somebody would have found it really interesting. I think, to give him credit, I think it was him trying to justify the fact that he did, in fact, drive this route and knew yeah, what so he was Yeah, so he was, was trying to prove, the, the prove that he wasn't just making up a story. But man, was it only, it was only written by a bus driver. It couldn't have been written by anybody else. So I was just if like, you're a bus Oof. driver and you're listening, Dan does not mean to offend you right now. He, he doesn't, <laughs> No, I don't, I don't. Um... Yeah, I just, I'm not as big on this story because I think there's a huge amount that would concern me more, as I said, than the tree and the houses that weren't there. And I think if I went through a portal, I would very quickly come to the conclusion that I'd gone back into the past. You know what I mean? So you're saying this guy's a little bit thick. (laughs) I'm saying this guy's focusing on things that perhaps are not actually necessarily important in this story. Yeah. And it, like I said, it just seems a really insignificant moment. It was a build-up of energy and he went back in time and saw like a murder or something. Murder. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But no, he just saw some people going to the pub. And who was the voice in his head? Hmm. Seriously, who was the voice in his head? Like, was it... From the star? Was, what does that even mean? I don't know. I'm just saying. That was a question. No, but what does that mean? If that... if the Like, what? What is that? What do you mean from the star? Maybe. Do people live in stars? Like what? I mean, it doesn't suggest. I, I, the way I was reading this and and this sort of references to all this stuff being pre-war and all that. I was like, I wonder if this is because it's late summer. I wonder if this was like the last day those people were together before war broke out. Because it just seems like an, in, an innately if, happy moment to witness. It was. No, there's no drama. It's but just is it innately back. happy? Is, is is it happiness or is it just? Life. mundane yeah maybe it is mundane and even if it was the day before war broke out they wouldn't have known it was the day before no. war broke out so it wouldn't have been a significant no, day true, to them until true, true. afterwards yeah. oh I can't be dealing with this my brain does not have the capacity to function at this level I've got two more stories for you is that alright yeah that's fine let's let's do this two okay. more stories I'm excited so the next one is the only one that I took from Reddit oh you went on Reddit because I was desperately trying to find a story that I'd read about a time slip from a different website along time ago um which is to do with a similar theme to this but it's a completely different story so i've had to settle on this one okay and this story is called johnny eats a burger (laughs) i'm loving these titles (laughs) are you ready yes we used to own a racetrack in ohio years ago but we lived in southeast pennsylvania you had to take the turnpike to get there in any reasonable amount of time I remember one of the times when my mother, my sister and I were doing this journey together to go meet my stepdad who was driving separately with a trailer to haul equipment. We got off at an exit after paying a toll and decided we needed a break. We parked up in this jaded looking strip mall. The buildings weren't dirty, they were just faded pastel colours and it was kind of remote as it didn't look like there was even a town nearby. They did have a diner though and we hadn't eaten since we left home so we stopped in. I know everyone always says not to judge on first impressions. But man, this had to be the most outdated and stale diner I have ever been to. The place was dark. Not dark like a cave. Just not a ton of windows. Imagine a Denny's if the power went out. Just enough light for some ambience. That kind of thing. It also had an odd smell. It wasn't so bad that it made you question the hygiene. It just it was just musty and stale. Then there were the other customers. From the moment we walked in, everyone was staring at us. 
the whole time. My mum even murmured that we may have crashed a private function. It was also kind of odd that the number of customers were wearing some kind of bandage. We took our seats in the booth, and it was then that we noticed how eerily quiet it was. There was none of the background noise you'd expect. No clinking of cutlery, hissing of coffee pots, not even any talking. A youngish girl came over and took our order. I ordered the cheeseburger, and my mum and sister ordered their stuff. The food sucked. It was completely tasteless. The girl came back and rang us up and we left. We decided not eating was better than going back there, so we wrote down the exit in a little journal we'd been keeping in the glove compartment, so we knew not to make that mistake again. A couple of hours later, we get to the track, and my dad's, and my stepdad asks how everything went. We said it was uneventful, but we told him we'd recorded real whopper for the journal and not to take the exit we'd marked because it was shitsville. He suddenly gets really excited, and we're all kind of wondering why. My stepdad's not a big eater. In fact, he once said to us that he'd rather not eat because it gets in the way of the rest of his life. But he tells us that he thinks we ate ghost food and that the people in the diner were vampires. <laughs> oh, well, well this, this took a turn. <laughs> ghost food. He wouldn't stop talking about it for like 10 minutes and it was making my sister uncomfortable, so my mum tried to logic him away from it. We argued that the food had no reason to suck. They could have easily killed us and none of us could ever recall ever seeing a vampire movie where the wound left by whatever it was that bit the person to make them the vampires in the first place still existed on their body. You got less excited and left it alone. We have the race weekend, do all the things we usually do, and then it's time to drive all the way back. He asked me if I want to come with him since he had to drive up alone on the way there. I say sure. Can I pause you there for a second? Yep. I would not be driving anywhere without lunatic. <laughs> I'm just saying. If they had to explain to him why the people in the diner weren't vampires, <laughs> then that is that he's mad. No, yeah. Sorry, you I just, won't just, interrupt. Just, just wait. Oh God, it gets. Oh, I'm excited. Two hours in, he pulls off. I think it's weird because we ate a gigantic breakfast before we left. <gasps> he's going to the diner. And I know he's anti-eating. And I didn't recognise it at first coming from the other direction, but eventually it occurs to me. He's going to the diner's exit. He wants to see it for himself. He stops to pay the toll, doesn't mention our story, but he does ask if there is a diner at the exit to make sure he has the right one, because he can't see it from the ramp. The guy says there was one, but it burned down. <gasps> so, there weren't any vampires. But what a fucking coincidence. We just eat there, and then right after, in the span of two and a half days, they have a freak accident. This almost intrigues him more than the supernatural bit, and I am 100% on board for checking it out. We drive over, same humdrum bullshit strip mall, except where we went to eat. It's just this charred mess. Not like with holes in it, it wasn't like a wooden frame that you see in a cartoon. You could just tell there was some serious damage. No vehicles, no tape. I'd assume that they'd at least test it for being a crime. And they clean the area around it really well. We go to go back on the turnpike and it's the same toll dude getting back on. My stepdad's like, I thought you said there was a diner there. Guy says, there was, but like I told you, it burned down. My stepdad then asks if they'd figured out what caused it yet. Was it a grease fire? The guy says, yeah. My, my stepdad says, yeah, it had to have been in the last two or three days. They didn't investigate it. It wasn't on the news. Then the guy says, oh, we know what happened. It was on the news when it happened eight years ago. Okay. Couple of couple of issues here as well. Why did everyone stare at them when they went in? It was no. only eight years ago. They wouldn't have looked out of place. No. Nope. So why was everyone staring at them? Why is everybody bandaged up? What, what, what was wrong with them? I think the inference is that they died in the fire. Why were they bandaged up then if they died in the fire? Who bandages a body posthumously? Is that the word? Sorry, I don't know why I'm attacking you about this. No, no. And I have to, hands up, have to say, I actually think this is a fabric entirely fabricated story. I just really wanted to find this story that I'd read time ago about when they went into it. I know you've told me that story. And it's such a good story and it's way more believable than this one. But I could not find it for love nor money. So I was like, I've got to get a dinosaur in there. And this was the only one I could find. And it was on Reddit. I seriously had to edit it as well because it was written. It was like that, you know, that meme from that guy who's surfing and he's like, yeah, and it came in and oh, 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 oh. it was written like that. It was just like a blur. So I had to tidy it up. And I've, but uh, yeah, I, I'm calling bullshit on that anyway. But it's quite creepy, isn't it? It's quite a nice little campfire story, I think. It's like that, oh, it burned down eight years ago. Uh, yeah, but none of it makes sense. Why are they all bandaged up after the thing has been burnt down? That, that It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's happening. It's hurting my brain. Last story. So are you feeling better about time slips? Um, I'm No. I feel like people make up stories about time slips, but I do feel like there are stories about time slips that do, that do really freak me out. Okay. I'm really sorry for this next one. Oh, fuck me. Is this about aliens? No, it's, oh, not, it's not about God. aliens. It's not about aliens. Hands down, not about aliens. Okay. But this story it was the one that I read where I was just like, mm, not feeling this one. Oh, no. Okay, go on. Oh, God. So I'm this comes nervous. from a, a really cool website uh, called True Horror Stories of Texas, which 
has just got some really neat contributions on it. And this story is called Cynthia Gets a Snow Cone. <laughs> and it, really interestingly, this also takes place in the mid-1990s. I don't know what it is about uh, time Oh, that's weird, mm, isn't, isn't it? it? Why, okay, we'll talk about that afterwards. Okay, so, are you ready? Yes. From the time I was 16 until I was 19 in the mid-90s, I had a job exercising horses at, at a ranch in Olmito in Texas, just a few miles from Rancho Viejo. After I finished exercising all the horses, there was one horse that I was allowed to ride for fun. I would often ride the horse out on the dirt roads that ran through the surrounding fields. I had my usual routes that I liked to take, and I loved being out and about with a horse. It was the real payoff for my job. One day I went down the road, through the fields, and onto a main dirt road. I'd taken this route plenty of times before, but I would always turn left when I got to the main road. For some reason I decided to turn right that day. My horse and I went down the road a ways, and after about half an hour or so we came upon some dusty houses off the side of the road. One of the houses had the door open and a crooked hand-painted sign that said Raspers 50 cent. Okay, so I need to explain something. Yeah, what's a rasper? So a rasper is a is a snow cone, but it tends to be what, it's a, it's a Mexican and it comes from ras, ras, raspados, I think is the full word. And it's like the Mexican short word for a snow cone, basically. So it's quite commonly what they're referred to in Texas, New Mexico, and obviously Mexico. I thought that this was kind of odd, but it was a blistering hot day. So I rode my horse up and went inside to take a closer look. When I went inside, there were two boys around my age, dressed in black. I didn't recognize them, but I had them pegged as Metallica fans. It did seem a little out of place out in this ranch country, but who was I to judge their music taste? One of the boys was tall and fat, and the other was short and skinny. Both of them had jet black hair, white skin, and brown eyes that were so light in color, they almost looked red. When I walked in, they looked at each other and grinned. I should have walked out right then. Oh my God. I walked up to a makeshift counter where they had some jugs with different rasper flavoring syrups on. The counter was really dusty, but the jugs looked clean, clean enough. I gave them my order, handed over the 50 cent piece, and then waited while they made it. As the short boy was scooping up the ice, he kept looking at the other boy. Then they would look at me, giggle, look back at each other, and giggle again. It was almost clockwork, manic even. I was getting the creeps from it all, so I decided to look around the house a little bit. It was then that I noticed that the building I was in was not a house at all. It was more of a store. There was an ancient Coca-Cola machine, shelves of old cans and boxes, and even an old register. Every single thing in the place was covered in a thick layer of dust as if nothing had been disturbed in decades. Even the window glass was so dusty, barely any light came in. There was so much dust, I was having second thoughts about eating that rasper. Your rasper is ready. I jumped about a foot in the air. I turned round and the small of the two was holding the cone out to me. They were both there, standing side by side and real close to me. How did I not notice them get so close? They were both grinning manically, and their lips had become super red, as if they were wearing lipstick or... They'd been eating something red. What the fuck? I looked at my rasper. It was untouched. They must have been supping the syrup, I thought. It was then that I noticed something that made the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. The taller boy's teeth were the pointiest teeth I have ever seen. I wasn't sure what was going on. Maybe the boys were on drugs or plain and simple crazy, but either way, I didn't feel the need to stick around to find out. I took the cone, mumbled a thank you, and hightailed it out of the store. They followed me. I put my horse's reins on a post next to the house. As I unhooked the reins, I noticed my normally calm horse, hence it's why it's the one they let me ride, was trembling. It may have been vibing off of me, but this certainly wasn't usual behaviour. The boys were just standing, staring, giggling. The instant the horse was unhooked, it started to pull back hard, trying to get away. His eyes were rolling, he was starting to sweat, and he was mouthing his bit so hard his mouth was starting to lather. He wouldn't stay still as I tried to mount him, and as he skittered away, the boys' giggles got louder. I mean, my pathetic attempt to trying to mount the horse was probably funny to anyone watching, but it was the way they were giggling. So creepy, so unhinged. I finally mounted my horse, but he kept twisting and turning nervously. I was close to losing control of him. For some reason, I was still clasping the rasper, which was pretty sloshy by now. The smaller boy took a step towards me. Your name is Cynthia, right? Cynthia. At this point, the horse was trembling heavy, and every instinct in my body was telling me to run. But he knew my name. How did he know my name? Do I know you? I asked. They looked at each other and giggled again. That manic giggling. Do we go to school together? They looked at each other again. Clockwork. Synchronised. And then giggled hysterically. The smaller boy took another step closer and said, Oh, you don't know me, but I definitely know you. And he reached up towards my horse. 
As he did that, my horse totally freaked out. It reared up on his hind legs, and as I desperately tried to cling on, the rasper went everywhere. The horse was screaming and pawing with both of his forelegs so close to the smaller boy's head I thought he was going to clip him. The boy didn't even flinch. He just stood there, giggling hysterically. The taller boy was giggling too. Their giggling crescendoed into a synchronised mocking laughter that was almost sounded as if they were laughing as one. The horse decided that he couldn't take it anymore and he tore off towards the barn, me covered in rasper and freakishly clinging on for dear life. The horse bolted directly through the fields, never stopping or slowing down until he got back to the barn in his stall. The ranch hand and his assistant came out to calm the horse and see if I was okay. As the assistant took the horse to call him off, I told him about what had happened. That's impossible, he said. There are no houses down that way. In fact, there are no buildings for miles in that direction. It's just fields and scrubland. I showed him the rasper stains on my clothes and the saddle. I was so insistent and creeped out by what happened that the assistant insisted the three of us mount up and ride out there. We followed the route I had taken earlier. You could see my horse's hoof prints clear as day all the way down the dirt track. We followed them right for about half an hour and sure enough, there were no buildings. In fact, there was no sign that there had ever been buildings here. Yet, just in front of where we were, you could see where my horse had spooked and kicked up the dirt. And there, in the middle of all the dust, was a dirty pink rasper cone. What the fuck is that? What was that? I don't know. <laughs> Who were those boys? Why no were idea. they giggling? Why did that happen? It's creepy, right? It's a really creepy story. But they did no, yeah. I just what. <laughs> Why is there no answer? At least if they had said, you know, 10 years ago, this, that. No, it's just like, nope. And they knew who she was. Well, how did they know who she was? No, it's, I didn't like it's that. It's the giggling. It was the giggling that got yeah, me. I didn't like and that. And the way that she said that they, it crescendos as in, as if and they were uh, laughing yeah. at one, as one. Yeah, I didn't like that. And Why did you have pointy teeth? Movements. don't know. I've got really pointy teeth. Yeah. Just to, just to let you all know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got little vampire teeth. Oh, then no, I didn't like that. No, I didn't like that. No, I didn't like it even when I was no. reading it. no. No, I like things to have a resolution. <laughs> I like to be able to say, well, it was clearly this. Uh, it was clearly her imagination. It was clearly blah, 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 blah. Somebody playing a prank, whatever it was. No, didn't like that. Where the hell did, where, so that's the thing that gets it with me, though. Where did that rasper come from? Why is that the only thing that was real? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I feel like this is a made-up story, by the way. Okay. But Maybe. I still enjoyed it. It still freaked me out. I don't like it. Okay, so what we, we were going to talk about, something. What, do you feel, what are your feelings on time slips? That's all I've got for you. Um... I've read so many uh, different stories about maybe not time slips, but like uh, glitches in the Matrix and stuff. And I don't feel like I can dispute them outrightly and say, no, it's not real. It's not a thing. Because I don't understand how time works. I don't understand the scientific so, workings for time. I was going to do a little science geek thing, but I'm not going to. Uh, <gasps> because I basically ran out of time to do the research. However... There is a serious field of science. Sorry, Will, might not be serious in your book, but there is a big study of science into this idea of alternate reality theory in that every time we make a poignant decision, we set off different timelines. And so the basic... Well, like parallel universes yeah, and stuff. I but, thought that was like a legitimate thing. It might be. I, just, I think it is. Okay, I, I just don't know. I'm always so worried about Will because like... <laughs> <laughs> you can't live your life worrying about what Will thinks. <laughs> um but yeah that's and that's what the basis for this this sort of the they this is what the thinking behind the science of time slips is that, that this is actually you just getting a brief look at a different timeline where something else happened that's isn't that really weird to think about what if there's an alternate timeline where you are actually researching the podcast every week and we've just slipped into it oh, you've just and the one into that you're it. listening to is actually a time slip no it, that actually <laughs> gives me no that gives me heebie-jeebies i don't like it because i oh no it's freaking me out no I don't like it so do you think there are alternate timelines in the universe where it's like the evil Abed yeah thing isn't it I don't know it's an interesting concept isn't it I mean it's there is like a field of like there's a proper field of research if you want to go down that wormhole boom boom um, there is a science (laughs) jokes there is a whole field of research that you can look into this where it's actually properly studied because of the nature of time itself it's crazy. It's a crazy thought. A crazy, crazy thought. I've I've read stories about like um, people who meet themselves as well. Mm. People who meet their young selves and their older selves. I think we did a Patreon episode where we talked about some yeah. of those stories. And uh, yeah, I like. I don't. It's just weird. What if it's not even your older self? It's just your older self from another timeline. It's just weird things like that. Do you know? No, what I, mean? no I can't think. It melts my brain, especially after this weekend. My brain's not working. Shall we look at some reviews? 
Yeah. Or would you like to hear some reviews? I would like to hear some reviews. Okay, I've got two. Woo! Is that right? Yep. Cool. Okay, so the first one is entitled Love, Love, Love. And it is by Kaylee MC Conalog, which I'm pretty sure is not how you say their name. But I'm going with it. Just go for it. Um, I absolutely love your podcast. You mix the right amount of comedy with the scary stories and really describe the stories well. I love how you review different movies and series at the start. I just love everything about your podcasts. Thank you, Kaylee, for that. Thank you. How do, how do we know that person is Irish? Because uh, of the E. Yeah. Thank you. We love you. It was very cool. We love that you all leave us reviews. And we got another review entitled Want to Listen All Day in Kentucky. This is a great podcast. Well researched and delivered with an excellent feel for storytelling. Emma's bracing, no nonsense approach and Dan's belief in practically everything make for a wonderful, terrifying and hilarious combination as they tell off the beaten path stories from the interwebs. Their own and friends' listeners' lives. I've not put the right connotation on that, but that's fine. The listeners' stories are particularly good as they seem like they share the host's voice, storytelling style. Maybe it's a UK island thing. Whatever it is, it's gripping at the same time. It makes me laugh out loud loud even i've binged all of them in a day yes get in and a half now wondering what to do till the next episode p.s note to emma and dan say appalachia instead of appalachia and you will be smarter than 99 percent of americans keep up the good work i love your podcast and that's from ahoy 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 thank you very much i should now refer to it as appalachia yeah i didn't know that so i'm just gonna be cracking it out every time i'm talking about the appalachian mountains is that a regular thing in your life always I did, a, I did a project in uni, uh, at uni about the Appalachia Mountains. Did you call it Appalachian? Yeah. Yep, and so. my shooter didn't correct me either. So. Oh, well, mm. there you go. Uh, um, yeah, so thank you for researching this week's episode. That's fine. I really enjoyed it. Good. It's very different than what we usually do, and yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Good, good, good. We're going to do our... Literally, my brain isn't working. I'm yeah, really I'm, I'm sorry. Looking at you. <laughs> like, I'm, like I'm just sitting here staring at Dan, and my brain is frantically working, and nothing is coming out of my mouth. Um, if you want to hear more about uh, time slips, yep, yeah, then 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 I, just I, let us know. I don't really, I don't really know what to do with the rest of that sentence. No, let me try that again. If you want to hear more from us, if you want to contact us, you can go on and like our Facebook page, Real Life Ghost Stories on Facebook, and join our super secret Facebook group, which is RLGS Super Group. And you need to answer the question, who are the hosts of Real Life Ghost Stories? It is Emma and Dan. Not Jen and Tony. Not Jen and Tony. We're not real ghost stories online. I know, right? I had to find that podcast, figure out what was going on. Um, You can also talk to us on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast, I think, or else just Real Life Ghost Stories. I can't remember which it is. I'm on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories and I tend to to post quite regularly on Instagram. I never posted our movie this week. You still got time. Shit. And uh, Dan is also on Instagram. At 50p Movie Club. At 50p Movie Club. And you can talk to us on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod 2. People keep adding this on Snapchat. Don't bother. Don't use it. Can't be bothered. Makes me makes me sad. No, it doesn't make me sad. I made that up. Um, <laughs> Bye. What would, <laughs> what would also be really helpful is, is is if you go and leave us a review on iTunes. We're on like I don't know three hundred or something. It's mental. Um, so go and leave us a review on iTunes. And also, if you enjoyed this week's episode, and if you want to hear us talking um, less hungover, I would imagine, and. Uh, get more episodes every week go to patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories where for five dollars a month you get an extra episode a week i know we missed this week because it's been absolutely mental and you for two dollars a month you get an extra episode of 50p movie club which a week. we are very behind in releasing but they are coming yeah we're terrible we're just terrible people in the last couple of weeks no, we're sorry we love Will's, you Will's, Will's been, i'm giving will a pass he's been a busy boy okay and on that note Adios. Goodbye, we love you.